calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hey everybody, this episode includes a trigger warning for discussion of potentially upsetting subject matter. This is Bitches on Comics, the podcast that says comics are for everyone, bitches included. I'm Sarah Century. And I'm Essie Fleenor. We got a question from Deborah that reads, I know comics mostly through Cat Valente's refrigerator monologues, and the only comics that I've read are Sandman and Promethea. I feel like I've read a lot of the punchlines without any of the jokes. What would you recommend for someone who's read around the literature? I wouldn't mind getting a flavor of what Cat Valente and Neil Gaiman and Alan Moore are responding to, if that makes sense. Yes, that makes sense to us. Actually, that makes perfect sense to us. So first of all, what is fridging? because <laughs> the refrigerator monologues by Cat Valente and illustrated by Annie Wu certainly, certainly refers to the um, social ill <laughs> known yes. as fridging. Yes, the trope slash <laughs> underbelly of society, fridging. <laughs> yeah, so Sarah and I obviously both know a lot about fridging, but I'm going to give you my quick and dirty version and you add some details. Sure. Perfect. So quick and dirty, fridging is a term that originates from an instance that took place in Green Lantern, I believe 19, or from 1994, number 54. And in it, our hero comes home and finds a note from his girlfriend on the counter. And then he opens the fridge and finds her dismembered. Gail Simone and some of her colleagues have been talking about that issue and several others over years. And we think they were using an online forum for discussion and then they started the website Women in Refrigerators. If you Google that, you can read everything that they did. It's got a great opening letter from Gail. It's got a lot of information about how it started, why it started, and then an incredible list of all of the women who have been raped, murdered, depowered, or cut to pieces and shoved in a refrigerator. The idea with it is this happens to female characters so much more often than male characters. There's some debate about this, as with a lot of different tropes about like, well, characters die, things happen to characters. But in reality, when you notice a trend like this over years and years and years and hundreds of characters, there's something amiss. In this case, what Simone and her colleagues ended up pointing to was the sense that women mean nothing. 
Women are not important. They become, rather than people or characters, they become plot points. And so instead of Alexandra DeWitt, who is the girlfriend who was chopped up and put in Green Lantern's fridge, getting to be a person, getting to have experiences, she's used to help motivate the male character. There's been some really recent examples of fridging in film that might be really familiar. So in Deadpool 2, Vanessa is fridged at the beginning of the film, as are Cable's wife and daughter. All of them die and then they motivate the male characters. That also happened in too many movies. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I think that also one of the most important things about fridging is that it didn't happen to a lot of women characters. It happened to all of the women characters mm. in comics. Mm. We see it a lot. It's been happening. It's like the general action movie trope, etc, etc. You know, we don't have to spend too long going over it because there's so much reading online about fridging and why it's such a bad thing. But I would say that we always have to remember that wasn't just happening to Alexandra DeWitt. That wasn't just happening to these side characters, which it's already bad if it is happening. I could have definitely done without the reveal of Green Lantern 54 whenever I was like 12 <laughs> reading those comics. But also, you know, one of the biggest things is that Wonder Woman is essentially fridged in her own title. Yep. She doesn't die, but she's depowered, right? So there was a whole arc in the 70s where she's kung fu lady and so besides the racial problems <laughs> of that and how just no it was just very bad but beyond that she didn't have her powers anymore you know Gloria Steinem had to <laughs> speak out against that and then even whenever they finally decided to change that you know there was a lot of resistance at DC and you saw you know feminists that worked at DC and feminism really suffering under people feeling like they were being attacked because they couldn't fridge the main character of the comic anymore <laughs> and just kind yeah. of the negative reaction that comes from a lot of the professionals I think was also a big problem and and kind of what was keeping that happening. Gail Simone's a super famous writer now, and she's done a ton of really great work. So giving credence, I guess, too, to that criticism is really important. Absolutely. You know, I think the other thing that I always think about with fridging, because I'm also a writer, as are you, uh, we both do some fiction writing as well, is that it is, I believe, it is okay to kill off characters. Yeah, of course. But it should be because of their story. If if Alexandra DeWitt were a hero who had come face-to-face -face with someone still, she shouldn't be put in a GD refrigerator like a piece of meat. I mean, people, it couldn't be more clear of a metaphor, but she could die. Mm -hmm. There's no reason that that couldn't be a part of her arc. And part of me is like, all right, fine, I have seen enough women murdered on TV, film, and in books to last me a lifetime. Right. And I, and I have, and you probably have. And there can be reasons, but they have to be because of the character's motivations. There was a lot of backlash when Women in Refrigerators started as a site, yeah. where particularly a lot of male fans and creators were like, well, male characters get raped and murdered and depowered. Yeah, they do. And you know what happens when they come back? They're stronger than before. They get revenge. We, we, we see their arc be one of power, whereas female characters tend to stay dead. And it still isn't as intentional. So for them no. to say that is just incorrect. Because Absolutely. whenever you look at something like what happens to Alexandra DeWitt, that didn't happen to Superman. Like, that's no. out of control. <laughs> like, you can't, you can't just create a false equivalency and act like that means that it's the same thing. Absolutely. It's not. So basically, that's what Women in Refrigerators is. And by extension, what Kat Valente was getting into in Refrigerator Monologues. Right. 
So the characters specifically that she talks about, and these are all kind of analog characters. So obviously she can't call these characters Jean Grey or something, <laughs> you know, like we have to call them different names. But basically it's just a bunch of women who have been fridged meeting up in the afterlife at an open mic to share their stories, which is obviously it's, you know, a really interesting and good comic. The characters that we can kind of say that she's talking about we have essentially Gwen Stacy as one of the characters. We have a Jean Grey. We have a Harley Quinn. There's a Mara, who is Aquaman's wife. Karen Page from Daredevil. And then Alexandra DeWitt from Green Lantern. And all of those characters, to specifically ask what the literature is <laughs> that they met their doom, Gwen Stacy was killed in an issue of Amazing Spider-Man, where she <laughs> was... Dropped from a great height Ugh. by a green goblin. Mm-hmm. I almost called him Green Arrow. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be a different story. <laughs> green goblin. He drops her from a high place. Spider-Man tries to catch her with his webbing. And, and does. Does, but her neck snaps. snaps. So this is after not giving Gwen Stacy an arc at all. She no. was just... Peter Parker's girlfriend. So after Gwen Stacy dies, we see Peter just be completely bereft, very sad, obviously, mean to his other supporting cast, lashing out, doesn't know how to deal with his feelings about it. All of that is really reasonable, but basically Gwen Stacy's death was used as a tool to make him go through that, right? So his kind of flippant, comedic era, the way that he acted before, is different now because now he's jaded and all of that so it kind of opens this like longer story for him now we have gwen stacy who is gwenpool spider gwen yes we have just gwenpool is a totally different thing also cool cool. (laughs) never has been fridged um yes Gwen Stacy coming back as Spider Gwen is a huge thing because she basically reverse fridged. (laughs) That's amazing. So that's an interesting story finally. But that's after we have dealt with a perpetually fridged Gwen Stacy for years, decades. Well, and even in the Spider Gwen comics, Gwen acknowledges that because she's aware of the multiverse. Yeah. And she, at one point, she's standing on the bridge. Mm-hmm. And she knows, in, in her timeline, in Earth 65, and she knows in Earth 616, which is the main timeline, that she her neck was broken mm-hmm. off of this bridge. And she's standing there, and she's thinking about it. And she's thinking about all the Gwen Stacys who've been fridged mm-hmm. and about how she doesn't want to be that person. And it's this very powerful reckoning moment that I think if you're not aware of what Gwen went through as a character or not a character, essentially a plot point, then that doesn't, I mean, I just got chills talking about it, Mm -hmm. but she becomes something so much cooler. Yeah. And I think that's like a silver lining that doesn't like by any means excuse bridging, but I think it's, I think comics are coming to account for themselves in some interesting ways as we get more diverse people into the field. And I think she's really one of the first examples of a reverse fridge where all of a sudden she has autonomy. We find out that the fridged version of Gwen Stacy didn't get to live up to who she should or could have been. I mean, how old was she when she got killed? Very young. She's a teenager. Yeah. So she's super young. Yeah. Never gets to have her arc. She's always the reason that Peter Parker is a moody jerk to people, always. And then you get to this place where all of a sudden this new Spider-Gwen shows up and is like, 
dude, I'm like the best Gwen. Oh, <laughs> and it's she has kind a cool of, costume. She has the best costume. She's a great dancer. She's really good. She's great at playing the drums. She's fantastic. Oh, we yeah. love her. And but when she meets Venom... Mm, mwah, mwah, chef's kiss. This basically just read Spider Gwen instead because it's that stuff, the Peter Parker story, all of that classic. We love all the old amazing Spider Man. He kind of comes off more like an incel, <laughs> like if you read it <laughs> today <laughs> than he did a while ago, you know? You're like, ooh, ooh that didn't age so well. Yeah. And then it kind of goes on and on and on and up through the 80s where he really does start just lashing out at the women in his life. And it gets actually pretty uncomfortable for a second there. So that's Gwen Stacy. The next analog that appears in Refrigerator Monologues is Dark Phoenix, uh, Jean Grey, basically. So the storyline where she is, we're going to say, essentially fridged, it's a little bit dicier with Jean because we don't really, It's there's just been so much oh, added on top of it. Geez, yeah. we It's kind of hard. Was it Jean? No, it was Phoenix, actually, a separate Phoenix who was impersonating Jean. You know, it gets, it gets very complicated <laughs> with that character. That reminds me of that meme when there's like the two Spider-Mans pointing at each yeah, other. Yeah, 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 yeah. I feel like that's most of comics. That's literally Jean Grey's story. Yeah. <laughs> her story, the the place where she was fridged, and what's also really interesting about her is, is that her story of fridging was basically what made her the most interesting. Mm. Because for years and years and years, we'd got these lukewarm takes on Jean Grey from the very first time she's introduced, you know, in X-Men number one, is all the dudes fight over her. We all know that the girl who has telepathy and telekinesis is clearly the most powerful person on that team but she represses herself she's afraid of her power she faints <laughs> because she thinks too hard literally a lot of problems there you know around uncanny x-men 98 i'm gonna say she kind of starts to come into her own she shows up makes fun of cyclops for being too serious tries to get storm to liven up and like kind of stop being so morose she kind of just shows up and starts being like, hey guys, I'm back in the X-Men, what's up? And it's kind of great. And then she gets kidnapped into outer space and she wakes up and immediately sees Lang, like not not Scott Lang, but mm-hmm, evil mm-hmm. scientist Lang. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's like, oh, where's your swastika? You don't look dressed without it. And it's just like immediately, this is the gene we've dreamed of. This is so much more interesting than she's ever, ever been. And then she becomes Phoenix, and then she loses control of herself and destroys an entire planet. Basically, that turns into the story of the woman who can't control her power, kind of. I don't want to sell it short entirely because I think that that story did do a lot of great things, and it is definitely where we see Jean become Jean. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's where we see her become an interesting character. But unfortunately, once she becomes that interesting Everybody doesn't know what to do with her other than kill her, basically. So, which is like the heart of the trope in so many ways. Yeah. It's this way to, I think that we're really uncomfortable with powerful women. If you're not aware of your biases when you're creating art, those things come out. Mm-hmm. And and so we see male creators, male and, and female creators. I, I mean, I think that Nightwing was fridged and is a male character. I wouldn't normally use that term with them, but. He was raped on a roof, and it was treated like it was really unimportant. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the other character gets to be motivated by his rape, and it's just terrible. And that was written by a female comic book creator, so I don't want to pretend that it's solely about what your gender is or any gender you might have when you're going into writing a comic, but I think that it's about bias. 
Mm-hmm. And I think it's about the way that we think about powerful women. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't think of a more important time to be talking about powerful women in our society. Fridging just reveals one of those biases that, that we hold so deeply that the second Jean becomes this thing we've been wanting her to be, she, she becomes self-possessed, she's calling people out, she's a badass, right? Okay, whoa, no, now we don't know what to do with her. Okay, uh, Dark Phoenix! Okay, yeah. explode! Ah, the end! <laughs> I always make a joke, too. You can tell when Jean goes evil because she starts getting sexy. Like, she starts being like, hey, Wolverine, what's up? God damn it. Now that she has any expression of her own sexuality, now she's evil. (laughs) The next character, we have four more to do because the refrigerator monologues covers a lot of ground. Harley Quinn, who never technically was fridged she definitely was a secondary character to the joker a lot she's really good but you're gonna cringe to your core about you know her relationship with the joker for sure do you think that's fridging her relationship with the joker um for those of you who don't know essentially harley quinn is a psychologist who's working with the joker while he is in arkham and he manipulates her to quote unquote lose her mind unless it's suicide squad in which case she manipulates him oh okay so, do, but do you think, okay, so version one, <laughs> right? do you think that that is a form of fridging? Because it's a perpetual fridge, right? Mm-hmm. She just lives in the fridge. <laughs> like, she's always being treated as a secondary supporting mm-hmm. character. It causes a lot of problems in her life. She is always viewed as being someone who's completely detached from reality, can't defend herself or really take care of herself. And then her meeting Ivy is where she starts to come into her own, which is a great queer story, a great feminist story. It's about somebody else coming in and being like, we can do this together better than what you've been doing this with that guy who sucks. <laughs> you ship it. <laughs> I ship it really hard. Um, I love those two, and I think that they're great for each other. Right now, they have this kind of flippant take on Harley Quinn that makes her not take it seriously when Poison Ivy is going through shit in Heroes in Crisis, for instance. <laughs> not to not to bring up old HIC, but yeah, basically, I love their relationship. I wish that they could live in a world where there could be a comic that was just about them doing things together and healing and growing. And Who doesn't want to live in that world? I, I want to live in that comic. I'm so tired of the terribleness of tying her to the Joker forever. The best thing that happened in the comics was for them to let Harley go her own direction. So Harley is not necessarily a fridged character, but she makes sense to go on the list because there was a lot of open physical abuse towards her that was played as jokes in the animated series. I grew up on that, you know, like I watched that cartoon as a little kid and it was like, haha, it's so funny that the Joker just punched her, you know? Yeah, and it's, it's like it's really weird rewatching it's it. pretty uncomfortable, yeah. And But Poison Ivy has great episodes in Batman the Animated Series. They give her a lot of props and credit for her power and the fact that she's operating from a place of trauma and the fact that she really cares about the environment. All of those are things that come across really well so i don't know 
Harley Quinn is her own subject. Poison Ivy is only tangentially related to this conversation, though Poison Ivy, once again, is not a very well-treated character overall. Someone send us questions about Harley and Poison Ivy so we can get into this. I'm happy to talk about that. <laughs> I have written at least two articles. So the next one on the list is Aquaman's wife, Mira, which if you've seen the Aquaman movie, you know Mira as being somebody who just dominated that movie. Mira's backstory is really rough too, of course. She showed up and was just kind of always this side character in the 80s. Things got really bad with the way that they were writing her. Her and Aquaman had a kid. Bad things happened with the kid. Mira goes off the rails in oh, her mind. Oh, women! <laughs> yeah, they can't handle their problems. But this it does sound like women, though, doesn't it? It's it's not at all. It doesn't. It doesn't. Especially it doesn't even sound like Mira. Like, no. Mira's like a queen. <laughs> what, are you, what are you doing? Mira basically... <laughs> actually, the issue where this happens is amazing because Mira dies and Aquaman thinks that he accidentally killed her. So oh, he's geez. just crying at her funeral and she jumps up out of the coffin <laughs> and tells him to like screw off basically and it is really amazing she's supposed to be the villain once again this is like villain stuff is hard because i really liked mira doing that i mean the, that sounds amazing that was the best thing that happened in that comic trust me everything else was just aquaman crying and being really annoying <laughs> And then Mira's just like jumps Surprise. out of a coffin while he's weeping and is just like, save your tears, basically, and tells him off fully, which he deserved it. So Mira's gone again for a long time. She doesn't pop up again for a while. Recently, they've put her more in an important role. Obviously, the movie had part of that. They did a mini series of Mira pretty recently where she fights the ocean master and defeats him. And that was really, really good. And then even in Aquaman standard, she had become the queen of Atlantis separate from Aquaman too. So Mira's doing pretty good right now. Karen Page, don't know where Karen Page is at right now. <laughs> I just know that she was sent in this direction that was very bad I believe it was Frank Miller who got her be addicted to drugs. No, not and Frank. Then, <laughs> I know, who's always so delicate with his female characters. He treats them so gently. It's not like he's balling them up in his fist like a piece of trash and throwing <laughs> them into a dumpster ever. Never. Not a single time, for instance, just now, whenever he did Superman Year One, and there's a fucking bunch of stuff with Lana Lang that we don't even need to talk about right now. <laughs> Lana Lang could be one of these characters, but... <laughs> What we have now is Karen Page. She becomes addicted to drugs. She becomes a sex worker. She's in pornographic films, which is the biggest taboo and sin that you could possibly commit, apparently, because that ends up very Boo. wrong for her. It's really bad. It's rough. Karen Page has a really hard time. She comes back. She's come back a few times. Theoretically, Karen Page being a sex worker, that's great. She could have been really interesting as a sex worker. <laughs> that's she was not the problem. So poorly. But she was treated really badly. And also Don't they make it like she she only wants to be an actress and she doesn't care about anyone else and she moves to Hollywood and she's like, forget you, Matt. Yeah. And then she comes back, sells his identity to the Kingpin for mm -hmm. drugs. Mm -hmm. Like it's mm -hmm. bad. It's not good. So I'm not sure where Karen Page is right now. I, I wish her well. <laughs> I, hope that, I hope that she's doing well. I have a hard time with Daredevil overall because there is a shit ton of fridging in that comic. There's a lot of great moments too, you know? 
Stay tuned. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> and then Alexandra DeWitt, who we actually did just talk about. Also, you brought up Promethea. And Promethea mm-hmm. is based directly on Wonder Woman. So Alan Moore is kind of just taking Wonder Woman mythos and just detailing it in the way that he wanted to do it, which goes well and then poorly and then kind of well. <laughs> it's kind of all over the place with Promethea. But yeah, basically, that's like the entirety of Wonder Woman is what he's yeah. talking about. That's not a single story or anything like that. So all of those are stories that you can look up and you can find, I would say, you know, self-care that day, (laughs) take a long bath, drink some tea, Mm -hmm. Um, pour some wine. Yeah, have a nice glass of wine maybe with your fridging horror and good luck. Good luck. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) I hope you have fun. (laughs) <laughs> the other thing that I just wanted to say more generally is is I sent in your question, Deborah, that part of what you're wondering is, how do I do all of this? There's, there's so many different pieces. They're all interconnected. Everything is referring to something. You talked about Sandman in your question. I love talking about Sandman, so I'll get into that a little bit. But I, I really want to talk about what you're saying here. Like I'm, I'm relatively new to comics compared to many a reader. I've been reading them for four-ish years. And when you compare me to Sarah, I'm like a zygote. But sometimes I feel like I have no idea what's going on. I'm like, what happened on this page? That's a new person I've never seen before. Why won't anyone say their name? How do I know who they are? Uh, and then I, I usually take a picture of that panel and I send it to Sarah and Sarah says, this is this person. Here's why you should know them. And I'm like, oh, right, 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 okay. Mm-hmm. Sila, mm-hmm. got it, got it, got it, got it. But you know, I think it's important to remember that comics are for everyone. You're gonna hear us say that, uh, hear us say that a lot on this podcast because we really want to get it into your head. And until every person I see says to me first, comics are for everyone, I'm gonna keep saying it. So seriously, comics are for everyone. And it can be really intimidating to enter the world of comics. They have their own logic, this own way of ordering themselves that isn't intuitive. And it's something that a lot of people, when we talk about making comics accessible to other people, it's one of the first things we talk about is there, you know, you've got how many Superman number ones? And that's hard. It's hard to be like, okay, well, which one am I reading? That's why you'll hear us sometimes talk about who's writing an arc, because that can make it a little easier to find things sometimes. And a lot of people get turned off along the way by these crossover stories. And now you have to buy three other titles, but only one issue of them. And then suddenly you're reading about Miles Morales, but you were reading about Gwen Stacy. This is a weird example because they're also good, but we'll pretend that they're not good. Um, You know, and you get frustrated and you don't know what's happening. And I just want you to know that like it is okay to be intimidated. It's okay to be overwhelmed. I loved the Sandman well before I understood anything about what Gaiman was, was playing with. But now when I read Sandman, after having read more Gaiman, having seen adaptations of his work that I think is interesting, go watch Good Omens, um, I really found myself feeling like, wow, okay, there's more at play here. Gaiman's really concerned with the theological, with with the big good and evil questions of the world, and... He likes to play with what we think we know to be the truth of those things. So if you're looking for the reading companion of Gaiman, A, I know there is a giant collected volume out there that tells you about it because I own it. Um, but also, it's really about looking at other kinds of literature. He, he said, listen, I'm not just going to reference comic books. I'm going to reference everything. And that's why you get this character who's quoting Shakespeare in one frame and... and Sophocles in the next. I'm not sure Sophocles is the right one, so like, don't quote me. I mean, do quote me because I'm fabulous, but you know, I might be lying, so that's really up to you. Don't put me in your term paper. Your professor will probably know. (laughs) But you know, 
all of that is just to say, like, don't worry about being behind or uninformed when it comes to comics. There are so many comics produced by so many publishers, and we spend a lot of time talking about Marvel and DC because that's where a lot of common ground lies, but it's impossible to keep up with everything. And I, I've read 66 new graphic novels this year, and I, I'm so behind. And I'm like, what is happening? Like, it's June, and I feel like I'm, oh, 66 just isn't enough. 11 a month just isn't gonna do it. It's like, what? How many more am I supposed to read? And if you, like, read a bunch of fridging stories in a row, you're gonna get really gonna tired real of... Sad. You're gonna get tired of comics pretty fast, You're gonna get real sad. Real sad. <laughs> and that's okay. I mean, Sarah and I both write about a lot of hard topics, and so a lot of times we have to reread things that are really challenging. And just like Sarah said, it's, like, important to take care of yourself. I was also just gonna add just stories from these characters that I really liked happen to be... For instance, we said Spider-Gwen is really good. All of the Spider-Gwen stories have been great. The Venom Spider-Gwen story was really, really good. That's a great place to start. What is it? Ghost Spider has been fantastic. With Phoenix, I'm going to say the Dark Phoenix Saga is really readable. You probably want to read the Phoenix Saga first, but the Dark Phoenix Saga is still good. It's just a messed up story, kind of, if you look at it in context of this greater fridging situation. X-Men Red was really good. There's a lot of Jean Grey stories. I wrote a few articles about Jean Grey where I just talk about other stories that were actually a lot better for her. Harley Quinn has had multiple series. The I believe Amer- Amanda Connor and Jimmy Palmiotti did a series together that was fantastic. Mira had a mini series really recently that was great, which I did definitely just mention. I don't know about any good Karen Page stories, but... Just watch the the Netflix show. Yeah. That, I think that's the best Karen gets. And I'm sure there has to be, because I remember her coming back in the 90s for a while, and it seemed like she was much more interesting at the mm. time. And so, I don't know. Somebody hopefully can send you in the right direction with her. And Alex DeWitt, unfortunately, just doesn't have any good stories behind her. She was really good for the couple issues that she showed up before she got fridged. The only other thing we'll say to answer your question, I know we, we really didn't get into enough detail. You know, I wish I wish we'd had more time. <laughs> but the only other thing is, you know what? We actually are going to be providing curated reading lists based on every episode for people who support us via page, Patreon. But you can just go to patreon.com <laughs> backslash <laughs> bitches on comics. And you can check out our different tiers there and we'll provide reading lists to you that will provide a lot of this information. So just keep that in mind and thank you so much for your question Deborah. we really loved obviously talking about how awesome all these fridged characters were and how they deserved better yeah they did deserve better you can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything you might shop while working eating or even listening to this podcast and however you shop we all know and love the thrill of the hunt but do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals because Rakuten shoppers do With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N.
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. This episode's comic of the week is Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. Created by Amy Reader, Brandon Monclair, and Natasha Bustos. Devil Dinosaur, of course, was created by Jack Kirby. Writers are Brandon Montclair and Amy Reeder, and the artist is Natasha Bustos. Comic of the Week, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. So one of my favorite recent-ish comics, and it's still going ongoing, so it's still recent, uh, is Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. As compared to most of what I choose to read, which is dark and, you know, acerbic, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur is just so pure and sweet and powerful and still hilarious. It's about the story of friendship. Oh. It's also about like the radical affirmation of one little kid's giant brain, right? Like she is just so, so smart. Moon Girl was created in 2016 when Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur appeared. Her creators are Amy Reader, Brandon Monclair, and Natasha Bustos. And then she pairs up with this really cool character, Devil Dinosaur, who Jack Kirby created back in the late 70s. So very different creation stories. Lunella Lafayette is Moon Girl's non code name and she becomes moon girl when her inhuman powers are activated i'm guessing some of you already know who inhumans are but for those of you who don't inhumans are this ancient race of people created by the kree to be basically workers for the kree but then the kree abandoned them and they they interbred with humanity and they coexist as part of the human genealogy line and they just seem like normal humans until they're exposed to the terrigen mists and then the Terrigen Mist activates their latent genes, their inhuman genes, and then um, inhumans sprout kind of like a chrysalis that's like a weird kind of crusty mud that like they must produce from their bodies, which is, never thought about that before. I'm gonna come back to that in a future podcast. And then whichever inhuman emerges from this gross chrysalis, it has like a cool new power. Except Lunella doesn't have any powers when she emerges. At least not that she can tell. So she's she was already this brilliant child before she became an inhuman. And she actually was one of the characters who figured out she was an inhuman. So she knew the mists were coming and she was really afraid of them. So she tried to avoid them. She tried not to get caught in the mists. And then there's like a whole thing with Miss Marvel and the cloud and blah, 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 blah. And she, then it hits her and she gets in her little chrysalis and then comes out. And then she eventually meets Devil Dinosaur because Devil Dinosaur walks through a portal, duh, normal stuff. She realizes that when she's really under distress, she can switch brains with Devil Dinosaur. 
cue hijinks. I mean, it is so funny. And it's just such a sweet story about an exceptional young black superhero and her giant red dinosaur slash companion. One of the things that I think is really funny is when they switch brains, uh, you know, Moon grows in devil dinosaur. So she's like, why am I so high in the air? And it's like cute. And she's like, why are my hands so weird? And then you cut, it cuts to devil dinosaur who's in Lunella Lafayette's body and just like terrorizing her classmates. I think she's like in the third or fourth grade maybe. And she's like stomping on things and going <laughs> and holding her hands really sillily. And it's just hysterical. The coolest, best part of the series, the thing that makes me love it so, so much when Moon Girl becomes a part of the Marvel Universe and becomes an inhuman and starts getting involved in superhero hijinks, because of course she does, she is readily recognized as the smartest person in the universe, which means she's supplanting the Fantastic Four's Reed Richards, who's probably been the smartest person in the universe for, at this point, the 60 years of comics. <laughs> Every and time. ever since he was born, he's mm -hmm. been... I'm not here to hate on Reed Richards, but you know, he's like an older white guy who stretches. Now it's Moon Girl. This young, black, precocious, brilliant little girl who's also the greatest scientific mind of our times. But who's also really socially awkward and yes. nervous and doesn't always know how to deal with other people and kind of goes through all of that stuff that... Kids who, I guess, are different really in any way, but from, you know, if you excel at tests and things like that, you get treated differently by adults because adults don't really know how to deal with your intelligence. Totally. So she represents all of that. The art is great. So good. The art is the best. It's one of the most consistently good books. It's been going for over 40 issues now. I don't even know what issue it's on. No clue. What I love, too, is that she's not perfect by any means, right? She has a bit of a temper. She can be really impatient, which, again, is exactly what you were saying, Sarah. She's she's so smart that she's just so bored out of her mind. So when she gets asked questions in class, she's kind of pissed off by it because she's like, really? Like, I already did the homework. I'm working on something else now. And I love that, you know, one of her weaknesses is, like, she's not a fighter. A, she's tiny. She's, like, a little tiny person. And so she makes up for her lack of fighting skills by being really smart, really, really creative, and really, really interested in thinking about the group dynamics. Like, what's going on around her? What's Devil Dinosaur doing? What's Miss Marvel doing? It ends up making her one of the coolest characters because she's so much smarter than everyone else, and yet she's never cruel. She might be callous or, you know, she might be flip at times, but there's not a malicious bone in this kid's body. She has the best team-ups in oh. the Marvel Universe, pretty much, since the early days of Spider-Man team-up. I'm trying to think what the best one... Probably the Fantastic Four one, whenever it was just Ben Grimm and Johnny Storm, <laughs> and she basically just thinks that they're losers <laughs> and is making fun of them all of the time. And isn't it a Doctor Doom bot, too? Yeah, like... Yes. <laughs> well, it's it's Herbie the robot, right? Oh, Which is yes! from the Fantastic Four uh, animated series from forever ago. Hilarious. And then, of course, she gets Devil Dinosaur back at the end of that arc, and she's just kind of like, I don't want to be in the Fantastic Four. You guys have to go do your thing. Mm -hmm. You go be apart from me. We're, <laughs> we're great. We're all doing great. Like, 
Goodbye. I don't want to join your team. You already are the Fantastic Four with two other people. <laughs> we don't have to be the Fantastic Three anymore. I've got my dinosaur back. Yeah. And then you kind of see her buoyancy and how happy she is. How much she loves Devil Dinosaur. Their relationship, their whole friendship is so good. Ooh, and the Spider-Man comic where he kind of is flipped to her and mm. she is upset about it and just goes, oh, I'm the one who says that. You're saying my line. And He's just like, see ya, bye, and swings <laughs> away from her. She has this amazing lab that is underneath her school. And it's like all these salv- salvaged materials. And she freaking reconstructs a time machine by herself in this room. She also keeps like a giant hidden dinosaur. So I, I don't know what's more impressive, frankly. She's just the coolest, smartest kid in the universe. And does she, she's one of the champions, right? I think that she is. I haven't read the Champions book yeah. uh, in a while, but yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. I'd love to read that. Yeah, she's legit. There's this cool moment again where she's talking to, to Ben and Johnny, and she's like, can you can you not destroy things while fighting? Can you just not? Mm-hmm. Which is hysterical, right? Because she's this little girl with a giant dinosaur who does destroy things, mm-hmm. but she's like, can you just not? Everywhere the Fantastic Four, they've just been, they've always been crushing all of the buildings in their path for years now. She's the first person to call them out about that. Yeah. Maybe She's not like, the first. lock it up already. Yeah. Oh, and she corrects because somebody says that Reed Richards is the smartest guy and she's absolutely not having that because she is the smartest guy in the universe. <laughs> Or at least on our 616. Yes, exactly. So basically, if you need a break from all the awful in the world, stop what you're doing and pick up Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur because you will not regret it. Thanks for listening to Bitches on Comics, the podcast that is here to answer your comic book questions and our own. If you'd like to ask us a question, email us at bitchesoncomics at gmail.com b.t.c.h.e.s.o.n.c.o.m.i.c.s at gmail.com Gmail does not like the word bitch so if you leave the I in we won't get your email so make sure you leave the I out there is no I in bitch You can find out more about us and this podcast at bitchesoncomics.com If you like what we do and want us to keep doing it There are many ways you can show your support, including becoming patrons at patreon.com slash bitchesoncomics. Also, please feel free to rate and review us so that more people can find out about us. We appreciate your support. Sound is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire, who you can follow at churchfiremusic.com. Theme music is by Earth Control Pill, and you can follow her work at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. I'm Sarah Century, and you can find my work at sarahcentury.com. Follow me on Twitter or Instagram. I'm Essie Fleenor, and you can find me at sefleenor.com. I'm also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. This is Bitches on Comics, and we're recording in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and other sovereign nations who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization.
Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.